Good morning, everybody. God is good. All the time, God is good. Every season, every part of the journey, in the highs and the lows, God is faithful and He is good. Our children remind us that, don't they? They, they remind us of the simplicity of joy, uh, the honesty. I looked at Bud's face when he said the word glorious today. Uh, must have been a word he picked up recently because he was going to use it whether it fit or not. <laughs> but our children are a gift to us, and we are so grateful for the many helpers, the many workers that work with them. We continue to ask that you keep them in prayer. We're trying to raise children in the ways of Jesus in a world that often makes it very hard. And uh, I often say to folks, I don't always do this, but when I feel impressed to, I would say this, I would say they are never an inconvenience, even when they cry, because we would rather have them be here than elsewhere, amen? <laughs> and we would rather have them grow up with a positive sense of welcome in the presence of God's people and indeed with God himself. And so we want to continue to be a church that lives that kind of welcome and hospitality. This morning, I want to invite you to stand with me as we prepare to hear reading from Jonah chapter 3 in the Old Testament, Minor Prophet, from verses 1 through 5. But before we do that, we're going to pray this prayer together as we prepare our hearts, indeed our minds, to hear that which the Lord may want to say not only to us as individuals, but to us as His church. Let us pray, Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of the Holy Spirit, that as your scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, 40 days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. In the Bible, this is the shortest message that leads to repentance. And the people of Nineveh believed God. What a wonderful response. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. Sackcloth, an indication of true remorse and repentance. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Does God still speak like he did in the Bible? And if he does speak, 
Will we have the courage to not only hear, but to obey? The beginning of this season that is marked in the Christian calendar as the season of Epiphany, Pastor Doug started us off by reflection on the baptism of Jesus Christ at the hands of John the Baptist. In that sermon, Pastor Doug wonderfully pointed to this loving relationship that is made manifest to the God who speaks and affirms His Son whom He loves and in whom He is pleased. And then last week, I reflected upon that well-known portion of Scripture in Samuel where in the still of the night... God calls out to the boy Samuel, repeating his name several times until Eli, the priest in the temple at the time, is alerted to the fact that God again is speaking at a time where his voice and the people's willingness to listen was rare. I reflected last week upon the importance of discerning in 1 Samuel 3, that God still speaks to young and to old, and that perhaps as the church of God, we can become attentive to recognizing that no young person is beyond the calling of God, that God is still calling young people to follow Him. And I know you say, Pastor Stu, it does seem in our context, in our culture, and even in our city, that less and less young men and women are responding to the call of God. Perhaps it's not because God stops calling, but maybe because the church needs Eli's who points young people towards the Lord. I also suggested to you that No age is an age beyond which God can't return and restore your attentiveness to His voice. That just as Samuel needed an Eli, so Eli needs a Samuel. I was a Samuel once, and on my days when my back doesn't hurt, I still think I am. But I am learning to be a Samuel, when I am with those who have an attentiveness to the Lord and would point me to hear his voice, even when I was not expecting to hear his voice. And I am hopefully learning how to become an Eli, somebody who when people come across my path and into my life, beginning with my own children and family, is able to point them in faith to the God who still speaks even in this modern digital era and time in which we live. Does God still speak? And will we listen? And this morning, we are reflecting on a portion of text in which God speaks with clarity to one of His prophets named Jonah. We are not left to ponder whether it is God who speaks, for Jonah himself makes it clear that he knows it's God who speaks. 
And in fact, our specific scripture selection begins with this incredible phrase, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The scripture would say to us, not only is God speaking in that season in which Jonah finds himself, but God is speaking again and again so that God's chosen servant would hear that which God wants to say to him. It would seem that like Jonah in my own life, I've needed the God of repetition. The God who speaks and speaks again so that I would hear that which perhaps I've heard but have rejected. Are you not delighted this morning to know that the God of the Bible is the God of second chances? <laughs> I thought I'd get a bigger amen. That even when, like Jonah, his people seem to hear but not listen, to understand, because he did understand, but not obey. That according to this particular portion of Scripture in a very important time in the life of God's people, God breaks in to the world again through His chosen servants, even those who have rejected doing that which God has made clear, and He comes again with His word to Jonah. This is the God of Jonah's ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, according to Scripture. This is the God of Moses, of Ruth, and even Naomi. This is the God of Jesus Christ who speaks at his own baptism and his word pierces into the life of those that are with Jesus to hear this affirmation that in fact the word is affirming who Jesus is. And where Jonah would fail, where Jonah would not immediately listen, the son that is Jesus would fulfill the calling and the plan of the Father. And because of his obedience, I stand and we sit before a God of grace and mercy, daring according to Scripture to call him our Father like Jesus knew him. Great theologian once said that Jesus came into this world to help each and every one of us stand before God as he does. His beloved children in whom he delights. And one of the most important lessons I think that we can learn from Scripture is that if we do not believe in the grace and the compassion and the mercy of God, we will never get to a point of knowing deep within the marrow of our bones, deep within the inner core of our heart, the God whom Jonah is to represent and the God of love and compassion and mercy that comes to us even today. I am grateful for the God of the Bible, who is the God of second chances. Amen. 
A God who throughout Scripture, without fail, gives his people chance upon chance. Now when we read Scripture, we always go to the bad part, the part that seems like judgment. But it is true that throughout Scripture, the reality of judgment is tied to a God of grace and mercy. God judges not because he wishes to eradicate people, but because he wishes to extend his grace to all. And yes, Many questions arise from the Old Testament on God's judgment, but here God's judgment is brought into this perspective of His mercy, showing us that even when He gives Jonah a word of judgment, that word is given for the grace and the mercy of God to change the very hearts of those who oppose God and His people. So let me get to the story. Because I like stories. I sometimes wonder when we should tell certain stories in Sunday school. (laughs) Because these are hard stories. They are stories that perhaps for the critical mind generates questions about judgment and violence. And yes, We need to wrestle with that, and we at Skyview want to be a church that talks about Scripture in an honest way, recognizing that even when we've done our best exegetical work, our best research, our best attempt of understanding the text, that there are times where we just don't get all the answers that we want. But there's also a gift in coming to the text to allow it to speak to us in the way in which the Scripture has been given us, to allow the Scripture to speak to us personally, but to also speak to us as a church. Jonah, after being commanded by God to go to Nineveh, decides to flee from his command in the opposite direction and instead heads for Tarshish. Those of us who are familiar with this portion of Scripture, know the story perhaps too well. A storm arose, and the sailors eventually, despite fearing Jonah's God, throw him overboard. The sea in the Old Testament represents chaos. When God created and separated the waters from the land, it is clear even in creation that it represents that which sometimes comes across through the Bible thematically as a place you do not want to end up in. And just as we read the story thinking that Jonah, because of his disobedience, ends up in a place that he, that he did not want to be, it is in that very place that Jonah cries out. In fact, it says in the belly, and the, the language is probably better rendered as sea monster as opposed to just whale, but I don't want to ruin anything for anybody if you grew up with whale. That Jonah prays, and God's mercy finds him in the chaos, in the place That represents what happens when you say no to the leading of God, to the calling of God. And it is a wonderfully powerful illustration 
of the kind of God that Jonah is to represent, that even Jonah, who resisted and knew and understood God's calling upon his life, who said, I will go in the other direction, in the chaos of his decisions, God comes and rescues him. I wonder if some of us feel that way today, that maybe we feel a little tossed about. We feel a little bit like our lives are in the the chaos of the ocean that is the world. Maybe you don't feel that way. I I realize that that good preaching should should not always imply one but not the other because some of you... You know, you're saying to me, Stu, I'm on a cruise ship right now, and it's going really well. (laughs) But wherever you are, there is a, a sense in which listening and hearing God should require an obedience. And there's an honesty in the text that that we can stand on one side in judgment of, 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 of Jonah and go, well, he just made poor decisions without perhaps being honest ourselves that there are times in which we knew what we were called to do, but we did not do it. It was three amens. Marcella, I heard it. The storm arises, the sailors throw him out, and there he is, swallowed by this sea monster whale. Yes, incredibly hard to imagine. And then he's spewed out. I remember my Sunday school teacher teaching on this story at least once a year. And we had a one-room church when I was growing up. That meant everything happened in the same room and sometimes at the same time. Children being taught, adults being taught before service as we had Sunday school. And the qualifications for being a good Sunday school teacher was, can your voice carry beyond Miss Norkey's voice, my teacher? Because if it could, you could teach. You could be heard. I remember telling this story and, and enacting what Jonah must have felt like as he was spewed out. <laughs> she got down on the floor and rolled around. <laughs> what an impression she made. And it is here where God's word comes to Jonah a second time. And Jonah responds. And he goes, albeit reluctantly. And the word of God teaches us that he speaks just a few words. And the entire city, beginning with its king, repents. What is not in our text is this. That following the repentance of the city of Nineveh, the Assyrians, as we would know them later on in Scripture as well, uh, Jonah becomes angry. In fact, he pouts. He gets mad. It's like, you know, when, 
when a kid comes over to play with your kid and, and that kid gets something from you before they leave and your kid pouts and says, why didn't I get it? And you want to say, because you always have it. Jonah becomes angry. And here's the, the reality of this story is that this good reason for Jonah to not want to go. Ninevites, notoriously known for their brutal treatment of anyone they took capture in their wars. I've said this view before because I've preached on this text before. They made amulets out of the bones of those they conquered and wore it around their necks as a means of instilling fear in their enemies. Jonah could have had a very good reason not to go out of fear. But it is in chapter 4, verse 2, that we hear the real reason why Jonah never wanted to go to Nineveh. Listen to this. He's saying to God in his pouting, angry state, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who would relent from sending calamity. This very reference of God's mercy and compassion is first made in Exodus chapter 34. When God gives the second set of tablets to Moses at Sinai. You know, when God gives the second set of tablets, is following the disobedience of God's own people whom Jonah is a part of and represents. When Moses went up the mountain to hear from God, they got a little hostile with Aaron and they fashioned for themselves a God that they could touch. And it is in the context of Israel's own disobedience that God speaks these words, that Moses speaks these words, that I, you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. Jonah knew deep within his own history, deep within the story that shapes his identity, that the God who sends him to Nineveh is essentially the God of Israel. And that God is merciful and compassionate. It is one thing to disobey God because we do not understand his character. But it is something quite different to disobey God when we do. To put it simply, Jonah did not want to listen because he knew that God would be compassionate. Could it be that one of the reasons many may feel today that God doesn't speak is because he speaks a word so contrary to the word we want to hear. Do you know that in Matthew's gospel, 
when the religious leaders of the day approach Jesus and they demand of him a sign, Jesus responds by pointing them back to Jonah. Hear this from the New Testament. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. We know why they want the sign. They were struggling with a concept of a Messiah that would include and go to the least of these. They were struggling with their Messiah, and they, 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 they didn't want it to have a Messiah like this, so one who would go to the destitute, the outcast, God forbid, even the Gentiles. And so in their own effort to to really know, is this legitimately the Messiah we've been waiting for? They demand a sign to which Jesus responds. An evil, an adulterous generation asks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except what? The sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a whale... So for three days and three nights, the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. Then hear this. The people of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Because they repented at the proclamation of Jonah and see something greater than Jonah is here. Could it be that the sign of Jonah Jesus refers to is a sign of judgment against those who refuse to extend the compassion and grace and mercy of God to the outsider, even the Gentile? Could it be that what Jesus is saying about the religious leaders here, God had made Jonah understand or attempted to make him understand in the Old Testament that the same compassion that was extended to the people who called themselves Israel was the same compassion through whom God wanted to extend his grace to others. We live in a day and age where there's more polarization. There's more camps. There's more in and outs. There's more they and us. Will the church of God listen to the voice of God? And will the church of God go to where God leads? I entitled this sermon, Good News for the City. And so I want to tell you why. The city of Nineveh, according to what I studied, is modern-day Mosul in Iraq. It is in antiquity, in antiquity, one of the greatest cities known for trade, one of the most affluent, 
and influential cities in its day. It also was home to a people that were considered to be Israel's, one of Israel's greatest enemies. And yet somehow, God would send one of his chosen prophets on his own to such a place. A place that represents perhaps in our world today the places we would not want to go to. Did you know that when Christianity was birthed, the early church was primarily a city movement? It was a movement that flourished by intention because its influence was directed at the places that had influence. Like Jerusalem, Antioch, Rome, Corinth. In fact, so heavily focused was the early church's mission to the city that the original meaning of the word pagan, paganus, was in reference to a rural person. That is not to speak derogatively of people who live in Airdrie. <laughs> but it is to highlight, by the way, when I first moved here, Airdrie, Airdrie was rural. It was country. So focused and centralized was the mission of the early church to the cities that they referred to those outside of the cities as those who have not yet been reached by the hope of Jesus Christ. In our own history as a denomination, we started our ministry in the city to the urban poor. We heard the call of God go to the least of these. In fact, the word Nazarene was chosen precisely because it reflected the kinds of people the first Nazarenes felt drawn to share the mercy of God with, the down and out, the forgotten, and even the outsider. But as cities began to change in North America, began to feel unsafe, began to feel more threatening, began to be home to people who are displaced or marginalized, most of the kinds of churches that our denomination has been a part of withdrew from the places of need, like Jonah refusing to go to the places that perhaps most needed the voice of God. Perhaps, if we are going to listen to the voice of God here at Skyview in this season, we need to hear that what He asks of us may be contrary to our own inclinations and own desires. It may be that one of the reasons we do not hear the calling of God upon us is because we, like Jonah, understand the mercy of God as expressed to us through Christ but may be afraid of what the consequences may be if that very same mercy is extended to others. There's a lot of reasons why churches leave troubled places. But it seems listening To Jonah and Jesus, we may hear the calling of God to go where we would not choose to go. We had a board meeting 
talking about places you wouldn't choose to go. We had a board meeting on Wednesday. Do you know what the collective description is for vultures? It's called the board of vultures. I'm just kidding. We have a great board. We have a wonderful board. My review is passed, so I can say these things. Uh, board meeting finished on time, thanks to a wonderful secretary. He keeps us on time. Um, and I, as I was putting away some things, and this happens quite often now, if you... You wouldn't know this because you're not here like staff are most through the week. Um, there was a lady, this is close to 10 o'clock at night, standing just outside the doors. At first, she caught my attention, and there's many people who walk by here, some people who walk their dogs, and some people who go to the bottle depot, and some good, you know, interaction of different groups of people that happens right here. The children walk through here as they walk around to get the exercise from the daycares that's across the road. And uh, this particular location is interesting because it brings a collective of people to our doors that, that sometimes is challenging. As I was getting ready to go home, I saw this woman and she was looking Around the building, I opened the door and I asked, can I help you? And this is what she said. I'm looking for some food. And I was told that if I wanted food, I should come to this church. For those of you who don't know, we have two pantries that said just... On the side of the building, one is a book pantry. You're all familiar with that. And sometimes we get some pretty dodgy books that our neighbors contribute. Don't think that's us. <laughs> we put some good ones in there, but <laughs> we can't control what happens. <laughs> and then next to that, we have a little pantry that, um, that we put some... Um, some essentials, sometimes we put toothbrush and socks and sometimes we put a can of this or that in winter. And sadly, a few months ago, somebody, we don't know who, damaged our little food cupboard. You know, those kinds of actions are often the things that really upset us. And, you know, as a church, we may feel like saying, well, is it worth doing things like that when those kinds of things happen? You know, I tend to think that expressions of such violence or vandalism sometimes is just a 13-year-old whose hormones are running a wild and they just want to impress a friend, but other times it's somebody perhaps who's struggling with emotional and mental well-being. Sometimes what we see as expressions of violence in our world speaks to the deep cry of our world for mercy. And so I went out in her name. I won't repeat. I asked her, what can I help you with? She says, I heard this is a church that helps people. I'm hungry. She pointed to her car. She said, don't be fooled by my car. It looks like I have, but I don't have. I let her in. We have a little pantry here that Caleb built for us when he was interning. 
it's stocked with things. Even this morning, uh, somebody walked in and said, we can't use these, these detergent pods. Can we put it? Yeah, I said, absolutely. And as she came in, I, I brought out a few bags, as our staff often do, and I said, help yourself. And she looked at me, and she said, really? I said, yeah, please, take what you need. And she started to stock up. And I went to the freezer that we have in that kitchen that is, that is being used in different ways, and I found inside that freezer home-cooked meals that our hospitality team has cooked. And I loaded up a bag of it for her, and I, I took it out. <laughs> And I gave it to her. And she said, what is this? And I described, I, I read the names on the labels. You know, there's some good meals there. Butter chicken. She said, butter chicken is my favorite. I gave her more than perhaps I should. She left. I ran after her with a a crate of vegetables that I saw wasn't picked up from food bank. But before she left, I said to her, can I just pray with you? She put all six bags down, and now I'm feeling bad because it took a lot to pick up those six bags. And as I prayed with her, my heart was overwhelmed. Because you see, I, I think that the problem that brought her to our door is bigger than just food insecurity, isn't it? It's, it's larger than just bad luck. It is living in a world that has complex problems and that it is easy to overlook, easy to stay away from certain people. But it seems like the Lord does not want to keep me from those who remind me of his deep compassion and love unless I so choose. And as I prayed for her, which is my custom when anybody comes to our church seeking any sort of help, some very receptive like, like Louis. Louis is kind of irregular. We didn't see him for a while. He's dealing with different challenges in his own life and health. Kind and polite, always appreciative, showed up a few weeks after Christmas, after we had already assigned one of the hampers to him. He came to help himself to the groceries in the little hamper that we have here. And I said, I said to him, Louis, we actually have something for you. And we brought out that which you have generously given. And inside the the hamper with all the things that, that our team had discerningly put together for Louis, there was a card with a gift card, and, and Louis just bowed his head. He looked at me and he said, I can't believe that this was done. And I said, Louis, this hamper has had your name on for a few weeks now. When I first prayed with Louis, he was facing some serious health challenges. He, too, shed a tear. And as we talked, he, he said to me, he said, I'll have to come back for the rest of it. I can't carry it on my own. And I said, Louis, hop in my car and I'll drive you. We drove to his place. 
took in the groceries into his little home. And on the way back, the Lord whispered in my ear, I've come for the least of these. When I got home after board meeting, I told my wife about my encounter with this young lady. And the words that came out of my mouth wasn't words that I would have chosen, but I said to her, it felt sacred. It felt like Matthew 25. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in need, you helped me. These words are not original to me, but I will say it to us because I think it to be true more so today than ever before. In a world where we have lots, the church needs those who have little more than they perhaps need the church. Like in the day of Jonah, so in the day of Jesus, religious people are tempted to turn their eyes away from need. You see, to the question, does God still speak, I will say emphatically yes. Perhaps we don't hear because of what he asks. And the question is not so simply whether God still speaks, but whether we will be willing when we listen to obey. The good news of the gospel that we have received, each and every one of us, is that God is the God of second chances. In fact, in one of the books named Lamentations, which involves a, a part of the Bible in which there is so much that is asked for that is yet to be done, we find this powerful scripture. It says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is calling us, as his church, to embody good news. To offer bread, yes, but also the bread of life. To offer help and friendship. To become the kind of church here in this community that is known to be a place that makes the lives of others better. Whose love is not limited. Whose grace is not measured. A people who know the God 
who we profess to serve. This morning, as I close my reflections with you, I ask you in this season, whether you will begin to listen to the calling of God for us as a community. That you would begin to listen to the voice of God for such a time as this. And I pray that as you do, you and I together will be obedient to his voice. Lord, your voice, your word, seems so feeble in a world of such loud voices, such great powers and principalities. And yet, when we quiet our hearts, and we quiet our minds and our thoughts, you speak to us. You have spoken to your people today, those of us who have come to know Jesus know that we haven't saved ourselves. We've been saved because you are good and merciful. But may we aspire for mercy to find its way in us and through us. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.